So this is Robin White Turtle Listney, and I'm here today with Kevin Devaney. Kevin is a um, poet and also the owner, co-owner of the Art Bar Cafe in Santa Cruz, California. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I want to talk to you uh, about how you got here because I know you're from the East Coast originally. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about your background and how you got to Santa Cruz because uh, I know it's a story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, an odyssey of sorts. Um, so I was born and raised in Massachusetts. Um, did my undergraduate at University of Hartford in Connecticut. Did my master's degree at Sarah Lawrence College um, studying poems the mm -hmm. whole time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, before I came out to California, I'd never been west of Ithaca, New York. Mm. That was as, oh, as far. Oh, you're kidding me. Yeah. Well, I, I looked at a map once and, and I realized that, that, you know, if you traced it exactly, I had been to Daytona Beach, Florida, which was further west <laughs> than Ithaca. And so the, the furthest west I've ever been was on the Atlantic Ocean. But that was the furthest <laughs> inland I had ever been. Um, and... It's a funny story because I always wanted, or for the past 10 years now, I've wanted to do this art bar thing. And the, the central part of that vision as it's morphed and evolved has been to create what we're calling a philanthropub, mm -hmm. um, specifically an arts education philanthropub where the profits from the bar fund arts education in schools. And mm -hmm. what we're doing here at the Art Bar and Cafe at the Tannery Arts Center is to have our profits fund arts education in Santa Cruz County public middle and high schools is how we focus that mission. Mm -hmm. um, so this idea was kind of coming and evolving. Um, at a t After I finished up my undergraduate degree, I, I was doing a lot of readings, curating a lot of readings, uh, hosting open mics, doing different art shows. We did a show called FEAST, which stands for Funding Emerging Artists Through Sustainable Tactics. Oh. Um, they call it a community arts micro grants dinner. These happen all over the country. It's a super, oh, super cool, cool event. Um, they had a, a lot of fun putting on with Catherine Romanski, and we were in Northampton, Massachusetts, which mm -hmm. is not the Northampton in New York, which is the Hamptons, but it's this, it's this tiny little town in the middle of the Berkshire Mountains in western Massachusetts, almost exactly halfway between Boston and New York. Mm -hmm. But it's like somebody took two blocks of Brooklyn and just like cut it out and threw it in the middle of the wilderness. <laughs> there, there's like, I forget the exact numbers, but it was something like, uh, you know, 13 bars, 20 restaurants, seven different music venues. Oh my gosh. And it's it's two streets. <laughs> it's, oh, wow, you know, wow. it's King Street and Main Street in Northampton, Massachusetts. So uh, what was happening there when I finished up undergraduate was um, to, to give the background to, to my poetic experience and kind of the shows that were happening there. Um, I fell in love with spoken word and the American Poetry Slam. Uh, specifically in Boston in the late 90s or early early aughts um, mm -hmm. at the Cantab Lounge you were reading every Wednesday night that is to this day I swear the best poetry reading in the country mm. some of the best poetry I've ever heard was mm. in the Cantab Lounge mm -hmm. um, and so there was this whole spoken word movement was very 
Vivacious is very live, very performance-based, um, and there was also this strong written tradition in Northampton, which not unlike Santa Cruz has a ridiculously high concentration of poets for some <laughs> reason. Yeah. Uh, they both call themselves Paradise City too. So I moved from Paradise City to Paradise City. Um, That's well. Uh, yeah. So, so where, where the readings that I was doing there really came together was I was trying to find poets who were from this stock of traditional literary influence poets who were writing in Northampton and these uh, young spoken word cats, a lot of whom were going to Hampshire College, had the most active spoken word group of any of the colleges around Northampton. And I'd try to get them to get on stage together. Um, and that was originally and continues to be a big driving influence for me to, mm -hmm. to blend styles and see... Uh, where where those come together. Uh-huh. I've been known to ramble a little bit, so That's if you need okay. to redirect me, feel free. I was gonna interrupt you because sure, sure. I do want I want our listeners to understand what slam poetry is because a lot of people have heard the term or but the, they think it's like in a fighting ring or something. There's a lot of misinformation <laughs> out there and a lot yeah. of people uh you know, I I've had it happen I think I had this exact conversation that I invited somebody, I was like, Oh, do you wanna go see a poetry slam and they're like no I don't really like people yelling at me uh, it was their response yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I think that's what a lot of people well assume as, as opposed about to a regular reading where people are not doing slam poetry there's a big difference you want could you explain that a little bit I mean there's not a yes I can explain and difference. disagree with it yeah. <laughs> um, so so here's the thing the, there is no such thing as slam poetry Mm -hmm. uh, that is kind of a misnomer you know, and a weird title that gets put on it. There, the poetry slam is a game of competitive poetry. You can bring any style of poem to the game of the poetry slam. and That's a good way to put it. Right? Yeah. You, it's a bar game. It's like darts, but yeah. you'd play it with poems. Yeah. And you just throw your poems in an audience. And what defines a poetry slam, What what is the thing that makes a poetry slam a poetry slam is scores. Traditionally in a poetry slam you have five judges selected at random from the audience scoring a poem Olympic style from a 0.0 to a 10.0. And the spiel that I love to give is that a, a 0.0 is a poem that's so bad you never want to hear another word of the English language again for fear <laughs> that it might remind you of that poem. And a 10.0 is a poem that is so good that you never are going to take another lover ever again in your life because nothing will ever complete you like that poem just did. So, which is just a way to try to encourage people to use the numbers in between. You got one decimal point. Traditionally, you drop the high score, you drop the low score, you add the middle three, and so you can score between a zero and a 30 in a poetry slam. And then there will be a few rounds, and depending on where you are, they'll eliminate X number of poets from the first round to the second. So... What's really interesting about it is you actually allow the audience to have a say in what kind of poetry they're going to continue to hear. Uh -huh. And it gives an, an immediate response to the poet mm -hmm. about how the audience feels about their poetry. Mm -hmm. And what that has done is it has developed a style that gets to be known as slam poetry that... Yeah is the kind of poetry that scores well with an audience on a snap judgment. Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> you can bring 
anything to a poetry slam. You can bring anything to a poetry slam. And I, and I really am pretty fired up about the idea of poets bringing work that doesn't, you know, quote unquote, sound like slam poetry. Uh-huh. I, I think it's, I love hearing sonnets at poetry slams. I, I love hearing quiet poems at poetry slams. But I think the real gift of the poetry slam right now and something that's very important for poetry in our day and age is that it it has become this cloistered academic thing and and so often I hear you know when I ask somebody if they like poetry you know there's this responsibility oh I haven't I haven't like studied poetry I don't I don't really know enough to know if I like poetry which people would never say if you ask them do you like music you know it's like or what music do you like and 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 the fact that that isn't a question the fact that what kind of poetry do you like isn't isn't a question is is absurd because you'd never you would never ask somebody like Oh, do you like music? Like yeah. that seems like a crazy question. Yeah, yeah. But there are easily uh, as many kinds of poems as there are genres of music. Oh, yeah, easily. Yeah. And I think it was, uh, you know, as Ezra Pound said something to to this effect that, you know, the the poems that I liked in my 20s weren't the same poems that I liked in my 30s weren't the same poems that I liked when I was 50 and nor should they be. No. Um, no. you know, the, and and it's it's interesting because we we hold poetry to this weird other standard where it's supposed to be this this timeless high art. But, you know, it's <laughs> it, it, anytime you're making art with words, you're making poetry. Yeah, there, there's music inherent in language, and anytime you speak or, or write, there will be a musicality, there yeah. will be a meter, whether or not you're paying attention to it, whether or not yeah. you're playing with it or being aware of it, there will always be rhyme you know (laughs) even though most modern poetry doesn't rhyme in the traditional sense of da 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 a da 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 b da 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 a da 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 b yeah there is always rhyme in language there is always music in words so and internal rhymes and internal sounds that always move through and yeah and why you choose this word over that has a lot to do with that instinctual so Listening. I think we've gotten thoroughly off topic. This is yes, great. Yes, we have. <laughs> but I, I think we covered but the I definition think... of a poetry slam yeah, and yeah. and also some of the subversion that's happening within that subculture. It's really right. interesting. For the best example of that subversion, I would highly recommend checking out uh, the Lit Slam out of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And they are a poetry slam that puts out a literary magazine called oh. Tandem. Uh-huh. If you haven't read Tandem, in my opinion, it happens to be one of the best collections of poetry put out in the past 10 years. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, yeah. I'll check it out. Highly recommend it. Well, but there, there is... The performance aspect of slam poetry is very much part of it, don't you feel? I do, and, and I think that's a real gift because I've seen great poets read their work and totally lose an audience. Yeah. So I, I think it's very important for poets to start thinking about this is, you know, this is the point in the poem where I'm going to get louder. I'm, yeah. I know, like, I know that this line is really long, and I want to take a breath here. Yeah. Right. Even to just encourage poets to start thinking about pauses and breath control and the idea of memorizing your poem right. so that you can make eye contact with the audience. Right. It, it allows you to curate a more powerful experience for your listener. Right. Now, 
there is also the tendency to provide a great performance without much content, which I think is what gives Slam a bad name. Yes, but I agree. there's a lot of really fantastic work out there. Yeah, and I'd say the same is true of music. Is that a lot of music that is made is made in a way that is meant to kind of catch you and doesn't have much substance and a lot of people go to one poetry slam and decide that they don't like slam poetry or even worse that they don't like poetry period yeah and i always say that that's the same exact thing as going to like a eighth grade music recital and deciding you'll never listen to music again. Like right. there's, there's so much good stuff out there. There's yeah. So much great work. Well, and I think too that poetry slams have really brought young people back into poetry because there was this kind of aversion when I was in college, you know, like that's a while back now, but there was almost an aversion to poetry. Like cause mm. it had gotten so cloistered and academic and you had to be, kind of of a certain genre or you at least had to have a degree in it and now that's not the case like there are I mean people go back and get degrees and that's all good but it's there's a huge kind of resurgence I think of poetry because of slam poetry I I see that anyway don't you think it's a very interesting thing um I think the the poetry slam can be the best gateway drug ever invented. It's it, it'll uh, it, it'll start like the idea of winning at art is very appealing. Um, the idea of that instant gratification is is very appealing. Yeah. Uh, but it's also there's 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 a philosophy there. The, the idea that any literally anybody can get up on a stage at a poetry slam anybody there is no there's no jury you don't have to submit your work to the literary magazine you don't you don't have to get into the mfa program you just need to put your name on the list Mm -hmm. that's it Mm -hmm. and i think just as important is the idea that anybody in the audience is allowed to have an opinion Mm -hmm. that you don't have to be the professor emeritus you don't have to have the honorary you just like you hand scorecards to random people mm-hmm. and that people are allowed to care about poetry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's giving it back to the people really. I mean, that's what I love about slam. You know, it's like, I'm not a slam poet myself at all. An interesting title. An interesting title. See, I don't, I don't, but you've participated but in I, slam, right? But I participated in it and I, I participate in open mics and you know, I open, I participate in the open mic on Monday night and other, other open mics all the time, and then you know try to get readings myself and be featured and all mm-hmm. that. But that's you know, I don't consider myself, you know, like a highly engaged um, slam artist who's up there performing their piece in a way. I mean, I am performing, mm-hmm. and I do have, you know, I've taken bardic workshops and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're seriously off topic, but uh, you know, I feel that that what I love about what you're doing, especially at the art bar, is that you are engaging uh, all different ages, all across the spectrum. I mean, because we have at the Monday night thing, we have you know older people, we have oh, yeah, we got people, high school kids, high we got, school kids, you know, folks it's, with their AARP uh, cards. It's, yeah. it's the whole nine. <laughs> it's the whole thing, and I love that, and I think it's a really great concept. So. We're going to take a little break and come back and 
talk a little more about how you got out here to California. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is Robin White Turtle Listening, and we're listening to Evolve, and I'm talking to Kevin Devaney. We'll be right back. We're going to be listening to a little bit of the Art Bar Cafe on the Monday Night Poetry Show. And here it is. God bless all policemen and their splintering nightsticks, splintering, and Lord have mercy on their souls. God bless judges in their empty robes who send young men off to prisons with a stain from their antiquated pens. God bless all the king's monsters and all the king's men. God bless the sentence and its inevitable conclusion. God bless the predators, curators of small sufferings. God bless the carpet that ate $100 of Chris's cocaine. God bless cocaine and the colophon of severed hands it takes to get to your nostrils. God bless petroleum and coffee beans and sugar cane and rare earth minerals used to manufacture music boxes. God bless the gas chamber and the gas that makes the shower head sing. God bless the closet I trapped the terrified girl in with my two good hands. God bless the night those good boys held my face to a brick wall. And God bless those boys. And good God bless the strange sheep that pressed back. You cannot beg for forgiveness with a mouth. That was Gabe Kittle-Servine uh, opening the Art Bar Cafe Monday night uh, on the 13th of July. And we're going to go back to the show. So we're back, and this is Robin White Turtle Listening, and I'm here with Kevin Devaney, who's a poet and also the creator of the Art Bar Cafe here in Santa Cruz, California. And it's such an original concept and such a great idea that I wanted uh, to interview him for this, uh, this segment because, uh, you know, we just don't see anything like it. I don't see, I haven't seen anything like it anywhere else. So thank you. Yeah. So. Okay, we were in Northampton. <laughs> and we got thoroughly off topic. And we got uh, off topic, but it's all good because, you know, people need to understand different levels of poetry, and I have all kinds of people that listen to this, so, it's, you me. know, it's, it's, it's out there. So go for it. So how did you get <laughs> so to West Coast? I was doing these poetry shows, which is how we got off onto that, that side road we took, um, and a number of art shows, and that's kind of where this idea bubbled up of, you know, what, what if we had a venue? What if we had a venue that was dedicated to hosting all these weird art shows? And that was probably in 2004, you know, I, I first had this thought. Um, you know, and by 2008, I was really working on it and just taking all the free business workshops I could, worked with the Small Business Development Council, um, you know, and... and it was getting together a business plan, and when it came to the part of doing market research, of identifying your market and showing how you're going to target them, it really seemed like Western Massachusetts wasn't the place. It was a bit oversaturated. You know, a lot of a lot of these college students that would be our target market didn't have the funds to you know support this kind of thing, and it was clear that I needed to be somewhere else. So. I took this rough draft of a business plan and um, after saving up a lot of money by working three jobs for half a year, I, I took like three months and wandered around the country. Um, 
and I had a whole list of things I was looking for. I, I wanted a place that was, uh, you know, nicer weather than Massachusetts. I wanted to have a university system that had a strong writing program. I wanted to be close to a city without being in one. I wanted a place with a slightly larger population base. I knew I wanted to be close to the ocean because I'd grown up a block from the Atlantic and, you know, it just kind of grounds me. Um, and the, the last thing on the list was I was looking for a arts scene that felt vibrant but not saturated. And that was the most nebulous of anything. And it's really because of the Tannery Arts Center. That I'm in Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. And, and lo and behold, <laughs> you're talking about Santa Cruz. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> um, and I mean, the, but if you read off that list, it sounds like you're talking about the Santa Cruz, which I knew nobody here. I knew yeah. nobody. The closest, the closest thing to a friendship I had was my ex-girlfriend's father's former co-worker. <laughs> that was pretty remote. Right? <laughs> to, the, to this day, Anne Hayes. God bless her soul. Anne Hayes uh, sat down with me at the picnic basket. We were having lunch, and you know, I'm looking out onto the beautiful Pacific Ocean, watching folks play volleyball. I said, "Who do I talk to to find out about the art scene in Santa Cruz?" And she says, oh, "That's a good question. Who? Well, you might want to check out Kirby Scudder. Ah. And Kirby is, in his own right, a character. If 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 you haven't met the man yet. Yeah, he, I have met him. Yeah, he's, briefly. Yeah. <laughs> he's something. He's really something. Um, but he's pretty connected to absolutely. the tannery. And, and at the time, yeah. he he's done some really fantastic work for getting the tannery off the ground, and I'm not sure this place would be here without Kirby. But at the time, he was running the Institute for Contemporary Art, and they were doing a steampunk exhibit and that I heard about that and I was like, well, I, I got to go. And their opening was the first Friday in October in 2012. And I went and I walked into the tannery. And the first thing that happened to me when I walked into the tannery was Anne Hazel's offered me, not to be confused with Anne Hayes. I went from Anne Hayes to Anne Hazel's. Uh, Anne Hazel's offers me a margarita and I decided this is this is totally where I'm meant to be. And then she told me a little bit about what the tannery is. I just I just knew right there. Mm-hmm. I knew right there that this was, was where I had to be. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And just for people that are listening, the Tannery Art Center is a complex mm-hmm. of apartments and studios that are created for artists. And so it houses a whole bunch of artists. A hundred units of artist housing and 28 years. different working studios, 26,000 square feet of arts happening here. Yeah. And they're just finishing up construction on a 200-seat performing arts theater. Yeah. There's so it's, it's one cool. retail location, and that's that's the art that's bar. That's the art bar. So, so the art bar is in the middle of all of this complex of artist studios, and now this theater complex is going to be opening. I don't know when, but... But it has a hundred units of artists. between September and December. They're saying. Oh, really? It's, it's really it's exciting. Coming up. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So we we've been around uh, for about a year and a half now. Uh huh. And we've been striving to be this arts education philanthropub, which uh-huh. is is really our guiding star. Yeah. Um, there are a few other philanthropubs in the country. Uh, the the most successful one is Oregon Public House in Portland. Oh. Um, Cause in D.C. is one that started up and is no longer in existence. And there's also United Libations in San Francisco, which is a pop-up at the moment. 
Um, uh-huh. But they all have really different focuses. Uh, Oregon Public House is based on Portland local charities. Um, Cause in D.C. had its own focus. United Libations is on, um, you know, uh, health and human rights in the third world. And we are the only ones really focusing on arts education. Mm -hmm. But it's such a reasonable fit for the tannery. Yeah, yeah. Because there's also dance studios here and there's uh, people have classes and education, art education on all different levels. So printmaking, jewelry. Print we've got jewelry. a literary magazine. We've got ceramic studios. We've got two galleries. We've got two different watercolor studios, two different figure drawing studios. So pretty much every day of the week, there's either a class. or I mean, the dance studio does classes seven days a week. The Tannery World Dance and Cultural Center is doing fantastic things. Wow, yeah. that's so great. And and all of this is around the art bar, which is what you're running. So that's where you start. I mean, you didn't start it like in the art bar, like in the tannery initially. <laughs> no, it started back in Western Massachusetts. It bubbled up in my brain, and then we and then traveled across the country, and and um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of unreal to reflect on. Yeah. yeah truly. Yeah. So the art bar now is basically, um, you know, a restaurant, cafe, and mm-hmm. bar, and serves also iced tea and whatever else you want, mm-hmm. and beer and wine, beer and, and wine. Uh, you know, got a kitchen going, yeah. pretty much all day. We do it. We switch over to a late night menu at eight. We got a full espresso bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're open six days a week? Yes, from 9 a.m. till 10 p.m., Monday through Saturday. Mm-hmm. Sunday, we are closed because that's the day when I get work done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and we do volunteer meetings twice a week. If anybody loves the idea of the art bar, loves the idea that a, a arts education philanthropy could exist in this town and wants to put some energy into it, we do volunteer meetings every Wednesday at 4.30 and every Sunday at 6. Uh-huh. So. Okay, great, great. And that's the way to get involved. At the Art Bar. Yeah. 1060 River Street, Studio Number 112. Okay. That's where to find us. So we're going to take another break, and we'll come back. And what we're going to talk about then, I'd like to kind of move into what happens at the Art Bar, because we've got tons of things that go on. Yes. And then I'd also love to have you read some of your poetry, if that would be... Oh, yes, we could probably do that. Okay, so we'll be right back. This is Robin White Turtle Listening, and I'm talking to Kevin Devaney about the Art Bar Cafe. Uh, He's a poet and also a philanthropist through the (laughs) pub. (laughs) And we'll be right back. And we're going to listen to another segment of the Art Bar Cafe on Monday night, and here it is. shower they threw me led me to believe. In pastel colors wearing snaps, she proved my education would be long, and my age changed rapidly. Hiding the abnormal behind ten fingers and toes, her century-old soul welcomed my life. This burden of a companion was anything but. We teethed on laughter and tears, and as as my bite softened, her fangs grew to vampiric proportions. 
With care and accuracy, I shared the gift of vocabulary, never dumbing down, never taking shortcuts, because the path is always more rewarding the long way around. Yes. She filled quiver after quiver with shiny, pointed words. She had a love affair with the way the sunlight danced on her tips while in her mouth. Orchestration gave reason to the baton she bore. I became a member of her string section and performed accordingly. For as long as I heard music, I never questioned who was being played. Heartbroken and rejoined, legions of lessons begging to be learned, and I sit bellied up at the bar for my latest of her brews. This burden of a companion is anything but, and her snaps no longer wear pastel. These vines are growing up my legs and coming out my spine. I gasp as the thick roots clutch my lungs. I am stuck in a dream where I have lost my voice. My jaw cracks and breaks and falls off my face. She's looking now. She grabs my hair and pulls me towards her eyes, which speak so loud, but she doesn't tell me what they mean. The vines have begun tattooing themselves to my ankles on the undersides of my wrists and pull me in to face the idea of fall, of chasm. I cut her hair as a reminder and press it with marigolds into a childhood Bible. She takes it and she places it where it's visible. My pupils and eyelids move in separate directions. The glass has been scratched off. I keep screaming with my arms. She hasn't thought to look at them yet. Hers are covered in cigarette burns. She wears pendants made of dimethyltryptamine, and I don't tell anyone when I go out to drink, but I'm on something. As long as you're not screaming with your mouth, everyone thinks you're okay. I haven't borrowed enough money to get them tattooed for real. I haven't opened enough books to escape. I've been listening to too much music, and all the separate voices are clashing in my head, and I haven't notated any of it. I burnt my tongue on your tongue, and I keep asking for more, and I keep getting it, my lovely nothing, my projectile vomit, fake feelings with nothing behind it, because we're too scared, we're too scared, scarred. I want to be Kurt Cobain. I want to be Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love in one body. I want to be Jimi Hendrix, but I want you to be Jimi Hendrix. I want to be a flaccid debutante. I want to be a soggy log in a swamp of still water and mud. I want you to be the nourishing sludge that pulls me in deeper. I want to be a fog body. I want the last instruction on my face to be that of sleep and rest. Me resting on your muddy swamp floor. Me <clears throat> passed out in the back seat of your car. Me unconscious and enveloped by the inability to breathe. I want to be unexplained and displayed in museums. No one knowing the history. Anthropologists throwing definitions like they could understand anything other than their own preconceived notions. Like they could find a placard. Here lies the swamp body we found. We'll never know who they were, but we can guess. Oh. So we're
we're back, and this is Robin White Turtle Listening, and we're talking to Kevin Devaney, who is um, the creator of the Art Bar Cafe and co-owner of it, mm-hmm. and he's also a poet. And so <laughs> I want to talk to you, Kevin, about what you're doing at the Art Bar, like what happens there yes. that doesn't happen anywhere else, or so, not in too many other places. <laughs> <laughs> One of the biggest things that I think we're getting known for is kind of being a poetry bar, which is sort of hilarious. Uh, every Monday night we do a six-hour poetry show, and it packs the house. It's yes. standing room only. That's right. Um, we start off at 4 o'clock with a writing workshop, which is always focused on generating new writing, rotating facilit- facilitators, members of the community. Um, at 6 o'clock we do an open mic. At 7 o'clock we have a featured poet, someone who's traveling from out of town, we very rarely book local features, but in the summer we always feature our Santa Cruz Slam team. Uh, and then at 8 o'clock we do a hip-hop cipher. At 9 o'clock we do what we call the late mic, which we advertise as the drunkenest poetry show in Santa Cruz, even though we don't have very much competition for that title. <laughs> um, I welcome it. I welcome it. Competition's good. Uh, we also have a regular series every Wednesday night, which we call the Way Open Mic, mm-hmm. which is performances of all kinds. We get singer-songwriters, we get comedians, we get singers, we get, um, somebody got up and read a 17th century Zen Buddhist text the other week, oh, which wow. was fantastic. Just seven minutes, and they, they had 20 pages, and they said, you know, just cut me off on seven minutes. Oh. And it just got really deep. Um, but it's any kind of performance. Uh, and I love that we do that workshop first and then open performance. Mm-hmm. I think it, it attracts a very particular thing. Folks who are interested in working on their craft, uh, meeting other folks who are interested in working on their craft. And I think the way open mic has spurred um, three or four bands now. Really? <laughs> yeah, just How folks great. who came and started collaborating with each other and yeah. decided that they were really... You know, a great fit for each other's sound. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. So, and so, so you're, you're actually seeding a lot of new work uh, at the art bar. We aim to. We aim yeah. to. Uh, uh, whether it's through the writing workshop where somebody comes and writes a poem who's maybe never tried that before. You know, through we, for the Wednesday night workshops, we've done everything from how to build your own effects pedal to how to market your band to, you know, just songwriting workshops in mm-hmm. general. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really great series. I really love hosting that. And then throughout the rest of the week, uh, we do live performances two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done all kinds of talks on how to either market your art, how to use social media as an artist. We've had the Arts Council of Santa Cruz present on how to apply for their grants, how to put in a strong application. But our central to our mission um, the way I see it is to support artists. Mm-hmm. Um, the part of that's in our menu too. Our, our whole menu is artists, original recipes. We've got everybody from uh, Vincent Price to Barbara Kingsolver to John Steinbeck uh, on our menu. It's it's actually their recipes. We're and not just not being like, cheeky. Yeah, they're they're actual recipes from these artists, mm-hmm. uh, from these uh, mm-hmm. writers, and many writers, and many writers. Have, but you know, Georgia you look O'Keefe at who's stew. And yeah, we did that, yeah. we did that as a special. Georgia O'Keefe has a really great beef stew recipe. Yeah, turns yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so you're 
you, the the arts are a thread through the whole art bar from the menu all the way to the performances and stuff. So I think that's really fantastic. That's the idea. And it gives you know it gives also so many people a place to meet. Like I know that I bring a Blue Bone Books meeting there. You know, I bring every month we meet mm -hmm. there and we meet there. I, I brought them there specifically because we were meeting at people's houses because it, I want to support the art bar, but also because it's a great place for everybody to come and hang out. And, you know, there's there's we can get together with our group and make sure that everybody's on board and there's plenty of tables and there's crayons for them to draw with when they get frustrated <laughs> <laughs> so it all works you know so i i really appreciate it and appreciate what you're doing thank you so now what i'd like to do is have you read some of your poems sure so this is this is kind of the interesting part because the the backstory here to what i'm about to read is before i was i was working at the art bar i was taking a 1928 L.C. Smith typewriter out on Pacific Avenue and writing people poems on the spot by request on any topic they asked me for mm -hmm. um, and asking them to pay what they thought the poem was worth after they had read it, which turned out to be a pretty good way to make a living. And that was the money with which I bought in to the art bar. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing's built on poems um, yeah. in, in a way. Um, so I I I, uh, I have all these different little books full of uh, poems that that I've written. Like and little, that, they look like little chapbooks. Yeah, so together. twelve twelve poems per book. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Uh, I feel like a fitting one to read would be uh, following your heart because that's kind of the the theme mm -hmm. as as of late. Uh, and this was actually written for. Uh, you might not know him by his name, but Curtis has the huge truck that says peace on the side of it oh, yeah. and does the trips to the Hopi reservations, bring supplies and stuff. And he asked me to write him a poem about following your heart. <laughs> How ridiculously fitting. So um, this, is, this is for Curtis. My heart doesn't put out banners and pull out cannons and insist for me to march forward under its lead, except when it does. For those metaphorically minded and perhaps also placing the ear slightly closer to the sternum, this is not a march for virtue, but only to keep in step with the drumbeats which drive you, to be every possible day in their music, to share it with all who may learn, so the song of the heart goes on and the symphony made strong for more sincere singing. Mm. Yay. <laughs> All right, more, more, more. All right, let's see what I got. Uh, okay, so, okay, this is this is a good one. Somebody asked me to write them a poem about, you know, what's, what's, write me a poem about your passion. I was like, wait, you want me to write you a poem about your passion? Like, no, write me a poem about your passion. Oh. <laughs> so this is, this is, this is my passion. If I could take these keys clacking out compassion to the masses, this lasting mass of black ink and metal forever, I would boundlessly confront my joy. Without holding back from attacking the chance of bliss like a dog on a cheap bloody steak, think of the hungriest you can remember being. Think of nobody watching you. Like this, 
I eat my language. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Uh, there, and I've got like 15 different books, all all with 12 poems in them each. Um, I, I have them out there when I take my typewriter out. Yeah. Um, Great. Yeah, Great. I hawk the books for three to five bucks. You can also find them at the only place you can find my work is at Middle Earth Editions, which is a fantastic letterpress at the Tannery Arts Center. Yeah. Um, and Sam Amico has a few copies that he has been given permission to sell. Other yeah. than that, all the poems I write, you have to be a real person. You can't get them on the internet. You have to like <laughs> exist in corporeal form close to them. Yeah. 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 All right. Give us one more poem and then we'll sign off. All right. Let's do that. Uh, here is... All right. I'll read one that... Um, this poem, somebody told me that... It was, it was a gal... A, about my age, circa her 30s, and she said, you know, my friend is dating this guy, and he is just awful. <laughs> He's just terrible. Could, could you write me a poem to make my friend break up with her boyfriend? And I said, yes. Yes, absolutely. So this is called Milk, and then in parentheses, Dump Your Boyfriend. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, Sometimes a gallon of milk is exactly like a relationship. <laughs> and sometimes a gallon of milk gets left out on the counter or, for whatever reason, goes bad. And sometimes the best thing to do isn't to try to keep the milk in the fridge <laughs> for as long as possible, until it becomes part solid or otherwise intolerably unsavory, but to gracefully dump the remaining milk <laughs> in its current form. <laughs> really. Just go ahead and dump it. <laughs> There's that. Yay. Yay. Well, Kevin, this has been delightful, and I'm uh, going to be playing, you know, parts of what happened the other night. Uh, oh, great, Monday great. night in between this. And um, so thank you so much, and I, I really wish the best for you and the best for the art bar because it's really served a huge – it's just doing such a huge thing in Santa Cruz. Uh, you know, when you go, you just hear people pouring their hearts out every Monday, Monday nights night. Monday nights are really special. And, and Wednesdays, too. You know, they're up yeah. there with their guitars or their banjos or whatever. And uh, so it's it's quite an amazing heart place that I think a lot of people, some people call church. Yeah. Because it's got I think it makes us sound like a cult, but yeah. it's, it's, it's really important to some people. And yeah. it means a lot to me because I put, um, I put so much of myself into it. And yeah. it is pretty much what I think I'm here to do so yeah I'm gonna keep pouring myself into it and we're gonna we're gonna see how far we can take this rocket ship yeah all right well thank you so much thank you for having me yeah and this is Robin White Turtle Listening and the show is Evolve and we've been talking to Kevin Devaney creator of the Art Bar Cafe as well as a poet and a good friend thanks Kevin thank you all right Hi y'all, how are you? Yeah. That didn't mean a lot. Don't act like you're here. Just kill us. Okay, alright. One day soon somebody's finally going to teach me that lesson about impermanence. This race to the finish line where you don't stop until you feel something tear in or near your chest. 
The amount of distance required to see your own thoughts is at least occasionally terrifying. Remembrance as a smashed fruit because we need our symbols obvious, messy, and fermented. I keep asking this question about what makes pain important, a one-man band playing to the back of the room in the best damn shoes he owns. I don't have words loud enough to explain what was happening to me. I rattled around inside of already rattling things with a pressure in my head that was only semi-comforting, shuffled between two big things, neither with a real use for me. I know you exist because your dad stole and lost your favorite hat, and we laugh with incomplete mouths about our child's childhoods like we mean to say, see, I wasn't always like this. Thank you. Tombstones for all the girls I had ever been. The year that all the hallways elongated, 
Finally, it was the year of conscious suicide, my best curtain call, the year I began developing coping mechanisms that toddlers have mastered, the year I left trails of snakeskin all over my house, holy war of vomit and insomnia, the year I fought for my life again and again, purging a poison 38 pounds in three weeks, beginning of the great morphine drought, a perfect winter that never leaves, and I died right there in the house where I still live. spout fresh greenery and roots and trees to last 10,000 years, even if the concrete is freshly laid and the water pipes and the sewage pipes and the electrical wires and broken bones and lies that lie below my every movement, even if this electrical cityscape that is everything wrong with our humanity pushes back with all of its arrogant might, the moss and mushrooms will melt through until the Amazon is jealous of the Detroit wildlife. Yeah. When I grow up, you will look for the shape of my body, the way my neck curves slightly to the left, giving my loaf a lilt and my hips a slant and my shoulder pain and the, the, my gait a slight limp that gives away my approach in the light before my weight causes the sound to reach your ears. You will look for the shape of my body and you will see nothing but a vague metaphysical suggestion when I glow up. I will radiate white light from between every cell that is my body as this electrified life that is pure consciousness joins form with all that is and shines like nothing has shined before, radiating through my eyes, my bones, and my skin, each hair that catches the subtle wind that has blown since time immemorial and is imbued with that thing that initiated all movement when I glow up. The distance to the nearest galaxy will be California close. And my friends and I will age to order, skipping through Einstein's mathematics, no matter how improbable, because this light is all there is and all that matters, and I am all there is, and what we think is separation is more like a uniform of density we have created, like the emperor's clothes, because if we only knew our true age, we would know that grown up, no grown-up could ever fit into these old rags. <laughs> 